0: Welcome to I Run Radio. Coming up, running again after a heart attack.
1: At least to me, at the time, there was no precursors to it at all. Really, to say, you know, hey, something bad's about to happen, and uh, it just—I guess—it just, guess just kind of crept up on me. So uh, it uh, it happened on the 10th of November, and oddly enough, uh, I had not gone for my run that day. And, one of the first thoughts in my mind uh, as I was being carted away in the ambulance was, well, there goes the streak.
0: Is it time to move past gender categories in running?
2: One of the challenges um, is that particularly in the, at the IOC and the IAAF is that, you know, they're still working with really antiquated systems. I mean that in the sense of, you know, that we're still talking about what it is to be female or male based on basically one marker, which is testosterone. and. I think maybe, perhaps, instead of talking about this in terms of testosterone, which, you know, does vary between men and women, and, and this category of androgynous women, um, that perhaps we should ta- be talking
3: about this in terms of chromosomes.
0: And one of Canada's fastest runners wants another shot at the Olympic marathon.
3: I've just really enjoyed the actual competition of the Olympic marathon, um, both 2012 and 2016. The race itself is just is really fun. You, know, you get a lot of fans um, and the competition is just so deep. You know, every, anybody that can, um, you know, has the chance to run the, uh, the Olympic Marathon pretty much does. So y- you get into this race where y- you don't care about time. Um, you're just going for place and there's always uh, there's always someone in sight, you know, you know, you know, just up the road or whatever. So you're, you're just fighting for each place.
0: On this edition of iRun Radio, Reid Coolset has announced he'll be running the Ottawa Marathon and he'll be trying to get an Olympic qualifying time. He'll join us later in the show. Elite runner Sasha Gaulish has been writing about the ruling against Castor Semenya. She'll share her thoughts about gender and running. And one participant in Ottawa race weekend who is running again after a heart attack last year. Let's get things started now with the editor and general manager of iRun, Ben Kaplan. Hello, Ben. Good morning. How are you this week?
4: Oh, uh, really well, thank you.
0: I've been recovering from a cold, but I feel a lot better now. So I'm on the mend and, uh, you know, doing the best I can under the circumstances. But this is race day for a lot of people, right?
4: But Yes, but can we rewind for two seconds? Because <laughs> sure. this is an age-old thing. Do you run through a cold?
0: I, I try to. I mean, if I, I put it this way. I run when I feel up to it. If I feel like right. I can't run, like I can't get out of bed, or I'm just too sluggish, uh, I'm, I'm recovering, my, my face is all congested, or my head hurts, or I'm going to throw up, or something like that, then no, I don't run. <laughs> but if I feel like right. I can do it, I go for it. You know?
4: Right. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, I think that it's fine I'm only laughing because, I mean... It's, what makes with sometimes it sounds like common sense, but I bet you if we open this up on Twitter, like, do you run when you're sick or what's the sickest you've ever run? Sure. People probably drag themselves out where it's like, what? You took the day off from work and yet you did 10K? Yeah. Like, how's that work? But uh, runners are funny like that.
0: Well, especially those people with the streaks, right? Like our friend Rick <laughs> Raymond in Toronto. I mean, he's run when he's had. Uh, you know injuries. He's run when he's had illnesses. Fortunately, he hasn't been sick that much. But I know people who, you know, they won't give it up under any circumstances. And and I have to say, I run almost every single day. But I'm not going to run on a day when I can't walk. You know, like when I can't get out of bed, I'm not going to go for a run that day. So I
4: mean, if my if I have a burst appendix. I'm not going to run that day. I mean, yeah. there's just some things that are just, but but uh, I know our, some of our listeners do. And to that, I say God bless. Like, you know, that's terrific. If you can, I, I really do think that's very cool. You Give birth yeah, and a, run that day. Sure. Like,
0: wow. As long as you're not, you know, endangering yourself in some way. Nobody, you don't, yeah. you don't have to run every day, you know, and you, and... There's there's yeah. no rule that says you got to run every day. There's no rule that says you got to run a marathon. There's you know it's it's whatever works for you. So, but there so are people, people. Yeah, there there are people running marathons today, right? In Vancouver, in Mississauga, in Toronto, there are three big events going on across the country today. This is May now, so it's the there's all kinds of big events in the country at this time of year. Calgary, Halifax, Ottawa's coming up in three weeks, of course. So. Uh, This is a busy time.
4: Yeah, it's a very exciting time. It's a fun time. I mean, I know people are really responding to everything we're doing, and, you know, now is really when everybody wants those tips, and everybody's asking each other what they do for the nerves and what you eat the night before. And, you know, the conversation, it's like an endless loop of these same Ten questions yeah. that everybody wants to know, and I always ask, too. I know the answers, but if ever I catch, you know, somebody's here, if I see John Stanton, uh, the founder of the running room at a race expo, I always think, hey, just real quick. You know, sure. you want to get the secret that's going to solve, like, yeah. you know, unfortunately running a half marathon is going to be difficult, whether you have two bananas or a piece <laughs> of toast with peanut butter, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, but you, you, you want something, right? You want to feel like yeah. you got some control over the thing. So what do you eat the night before a race?
4: I eat spaghetti. What do you yeah. eat?
0: I eat some kind of pasta, usually. Uh, and I, I like to eat earlier in the day, uh, yep. on the night before. So I'll eat supper at like 3.30 or 4 o'clock, uh, and I'll have pasta. And That's real uh, early. Yeah, then I'll leave it. Uh, do you eat anything the morning of a race?
4: Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I generally find when I'm racing, you know, I'll be doing a marathon, and I have done this actually. As I've gotten older, you know, when I was younger, I'm 45, so I don't. For people that are much older, I don't mean to sound like I'm an old, cranky man, though I feel that way. And but I would say you that
0: you kind like, of behave you know, that way sometimes. But anyway. yeah,
4: no, <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. But four years ago, I could do a long run without worrying about my fueling. You know, but I really can't now as much so i would i I do eat I'd like to have a bagel with peanut butter and a banana and if there's an apple too, great, but I really do want to have i do want to have peanut butter I do want to have a bagel or if there's not a bagel, you know i'm not i I, I don't mind, but I'd like to have like two pieces of toast like because I do feel like uh my fueling uh, is important and I do want to have and I really want to have I don't think I've ever run a marathon without having a banana. But I just, a banana to me is just, it does, it's great for my stomach. I feel like it's just a good thing to have. So that's an important.
0: It works for you. That's what matters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Do you, do you not eat before a marathon? I don't
0: usually eat uh, the morning of a marathon. No. Once in a while, I might have a little bit and then, but I have gels, right? So I'll take gels a little bit before the race and throughout the race. That's where I get my fueling from on race day.
4: stomach. Yeah, I mean everybody's got it that works for you. So yeah. I mean it's just whatever. Keeping in uh, mind that there's
0: no you know, whatever you know. take on, you gotta digest it, right? So it's not like five minutes before the race you have uh, you have a bagel and it immediately produces results for you. Right. It, it might That's you know the... it takes three hours to digest something like that. So uh yeah, you'll it'll for in your case it'll start working for you, uh, you know, right after you cross the finish line. <laughs> <laughs>
4: genius proven to be a
0: genius once again yeah <laughs> uh, very quickly we're excited to have reed cool set olympic yes. marathon runner on the show this week uh he's announced he's running ottawa in three weeks so we're looking forward to having him here uh pretty cool that uh that reed's uh running another marathon and talking about the tokyo olympics
4: Yeah, two-time Olympian already. And I mean, I love this guy. We did a story on him on our website. I was actually just about to send him a note because it did very well. I mean, people, you know, I I hate to be like, did very well. And, you know, but just the metrics on his story were high. I mean, people just love following the star stories and read So he has two children now, you know, so he's going to be 40 years old. He's got two kids. He does the marathon, which is punishing and he's been doing the marathon competitively for i don't know you know eight years i 10 i I think he ran his first marathon uh at ottawa actually but anyway he's been running for so long and he but he's still you know right there where he was and it's pretty uh it's pretty inspiring and he's very open and honest about all of these things so it's great having him in ottawa yeah
0: all right good stuff ben we'll talk to you next week thank you i appreciate it sir that's Ben Kaplan, iRun's editor and general manager. Coming up next, a member of the Canadian Armed Forces who's running again following a heart attack late last year. iRun Radio is brought to you in part by New Balance Canada. New Balance is a proud sponsor of the Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon, fitting elite Olympic marathoners like Reed Coolset and also making shoes that are ideal for you. Jay Rashid is a chief warrant officer in the Canadian Armed Forces. Last year, without warning, he suffered a heart attack. But now he's back to running, and he's training to do the 5K at Ottawa Race Weekend later this month. Jay, welcome to iRun Radio.
1: So well, thank you, Mark. It's uh it's it's nice to uh be invited to uh, chat with you.
0: So tell me about this running streak that you had that uh was what it went on for something like 3 years, right?
1: uh just shy of four actually okay but uh yeah i happened to run across uh, a facebook post about uh, runners world run streak that was only supposed to last 37 days okay so i uh, joined the group and uh, as they say i never really looked back (laughs) so
0: so you you started out by saying i'm going to run 37 days in a row and then you just kept going
1: uh, yeah well, the beauty is this uh, this facebook group uh, they're they're really wonderful people uh you know I think in part because they're we all share that that common thing called running right uh so it's pretty cool everyone posts about their run every day typically on facebook and you know, very supportive group uh if you've had a a bad day a bad run someone's there to give you that little nudge and tell you tomorrow's another day to run. You know, uh, we celebrate successes. Uh, I mean, we've, I've gotten to know many, many people. Uh, in some instances, I was uh, actually three weeks before my heart attack. I was in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania at uh, Runners World Runners Fest. So I met 23 other runners from the group that, uh, that entire weekend.
0: And how did you get so into running that you wanted to do a streak and, and you kept it going for almost four years?
1: Uh, I mean, I've I've run throughout my military career because, well, in the Army, we tend to run everywhere, uh, or at least they, they would like us to. So uh, it's just, for me, it's just a great way to get out, uh, clear the head, uh, when I am working, and uh, just go out, refresh the mind, refresh the soul, if you would, uh, and it just seemed natural with streak.
0: And did you do a lot of events, or were you just running every day to, to keep the streak going and to uh, just for pleasure?
1: Uh, well, I guess it's uh, it's a combination. There was uh, you know, the uh, commander's challenge during Ottawa, uh, sorry, the Army run weekend, uh, Ottawa race weekend, I would typically do the half with uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, there's always a race somewhere so you know if it's a 5k or a 10k or a half uh, within distance uh, you know not too far i definitely sign up and go so i mean it's uh it's just a part of me now
0: so what happened you uh you had this streak going and and then all of a sudden you had a heart attack is that right
1: uh yeah like i said it was uh, there was no at least to me at the time there was no Precursors to it at all, really, to say, you know, hey, something bad's about to happen. And uh, it just, I guess it just kind of crept up on me. So uh, it, uh, it happened on the 10th of November. And oddly enough, uh, I had not gone for my run that day. And one of the first thoughts in my mind uh, as I was being carted away in the ambulance was, well, there goes the streak. <laughs> so... <laughs>
0: That doesn't sound like the most important thing you should have been thinking about that in that moment, but i but you know what I can relate to that I understand well, that
1: I guess it's just one of those things sure. it's, it's one of the most irrational things right that when you're in crisis sometimes you you cling to the stuff that binds you right yeah, so sure. so I guess in a way for me, the run is uh it's what binds me I know my wife is is not pleased that I'm back on another streak I'm on day 118 and uh, she keeps wondering if I should or not but the doctor is my cardiologist has said if he enjoys it and he's not you know pushing too hard why not
0: okay so So, where were you when you had the heart attack and what happened
1: believe it or not it was one of those odd weekends where I had nothing planned, so I said to my wife, "Let's just relax." I was sitting at home in my uh, in my easy chair, about to have a cup of tea after we'd done some some chores around the house. I uh, I felt a little off. My wife looked at me and said, "You don't look well." And she started uh, the Google search on heart attack. And uh, as uh, just so happens, I'm also a ski patroller trained in first aid. So I connected the dots and said, "Well, it's definitely a heart attack or something very close to." So let's call nine one one. And uh after that, it was a bit of a blur.
0: And did they explain why somebody who was in good shape like you ended up suffering a heart attack?
1: Um, not really. Other than I had a blockage. Okay. And they put a stent in and. I've, I've learned that, you know, even some of the most healthiest people in the world can can suffer a heart attack or a brain aneurysm, uh, be struck down, really. Um, there, is no, there is no predetermination that I know of. Uh, I mean, I eat healthy, I, I run every day, uh, physically active, I ski all winter. Uh, doing everything right sometimes still isn't going to prevent something from happening yeah so
0: so how long did you recover for and uh, how soon was it that you were running again and and did you have any apprehension about doing that
1: definitely apprehension uh, and it's it's kind of odd for me because i've always kind of jumped in with both feet uh into everything i do so it was uh like i said a little trepidation but uh, discharged from the hospital on the 14th of November and with a list of do's and don'ts. But one of the do's was to start walking. So within a couple of days of getting home, I'd go out for a short 10 minute walk and build it up from there every few days. I'd tack a few more minutes on and suddenly I was out walking for half an hour and then Come January 1st, I said I was running again. So I started to run. I started attending cardiac rehab, uh, successfully did three months of cardiac rehab, and that's where I was asked if I would join Team Heart for uh, the Ottawa Heart Institute.
0: So you'll be running for the Ottawa Heart Institute at Ottawa Race Weekend this year?
1: Yes, I've actually uh, I'm registered. I'm semi-training, if you will. Uh, it's still tough, especially being outside, but uh, I think it's uh, it's going to be a good day. I've got, I think, nine people now that have joined my team, which uh, we've named Running as my RX, <laughs> and uh, we've raised just shy of $2,000 right now. Good for you. So, And a large part of those donations came from my run group who are for the most part Americans they uh, like I said super supportive group Uh, they check on me all the time Uh, they either send me something through Facebook or Messenger or they'll text me and make sure that I'm still listening to my better half and following doctor's orders
0: wow that sounds like a great group
1: they're a phenomenal group. I, I truly would like for them to uh, come up for maybe Army Run Weekend because there's a number of them that live in the uh, upper New York area. So they could easily come up. And I would, like I said, I, I'm going to invite them and offer them uh, a place to stay if they do come.
0: Wow. Well, that'd be special. Uh, so. and, yeah, something to look forward to. But what will it mean for you to be running at Ottawa Race Weekend after everything you've been through since November?
1: well I think for me it's it's truly gonna represent that i'm on truly on a road to recovery you know uh and you know in no small uh no small uh uh no small part really to the uh to the heart institute for i mean the fine the fine work they do just not with me but with so many others uh when they like i said when they asked me to to run with with team heart I thought what a great way to, you know, help support and give a little bit back. Uh, I know that what I raise isn't going to, it's not going to pay for research, but it's going to help towards research with the money that everyone else is is putting in as well. So it it definitely makes me feel good, you know, to help out, but also to be back out there uh, with a bunch of other runners. So...
0: Well, it sounds great, Jay, congratulations on what you're doing and uh, and continued good health as you recover. this is uh, it's a good sign that you're running every day, but of course, uh, you want to make sure you're okay along the way as well, right?
1: Oh, without a doubt, uh, I'd say to anyone who's in a similar situation or may not actually be feeling one hundred percent, you know, take the time to uh, get checked, you know uh, that could make the difference.
0: So it's a very important message. Jay, thank you so much for joining us on iRun Radio. Well, thank you very much, Mark. That's Jay Rashid, a member of the Canadian Armed Forces. Coming up next, elite runner Sasha Gaulish tackles the issue of gender and running. iRun Radio is brought to you in part by New Balance Canada. New Balance is a proud sponsor of the Scotiabank Toronto waterfront marathon, fitting elite Olympic marathoners like Reed Coolset and also making shoes that are ideal for you. South African runner and Olympic champion Caster Semenya lost a major legal battle this week when the IAAF ruled that she will have to take medication to reduce testosterone in her system in order to compete in the future. Semenya has been a trailblazer in running, and she has sparked debate about gender in the sport. We are joined by elite runner Sasha Gaulish who has written and talked about equality and fairness on a regular basis. Sasha, great to talk to you again. Thanks for being with us.
2: Thanks again for having me, Mark.
0: And I'm really interested in your perspective on this story because we've talked before about the issues that arise with gender in sports. And uh, here's an example of somebody who uh, effectively is being punished for some type of genetic advantage, uh, some type of arbitrary definition about what makes somebody female, and, um, and I, I understand some of the dynamics around this, but this seems like a very harsh decision to me. What are your thoughts on it?
2: I mean, I've had a host of thoughts. Um, I think, first and foremost, uh, sort of like you have already alluded to, that, you know, it did seem very targeted towards one individual, which I think was just grossly unfair. Um, I think that this person, I mean, we're, we're thinking about Castor Semenya, you know, she's done so many great things, not only for her country, but for so many, not just women, but people in sport. I mean, she definitely made races exciting to watch. Um, learning about her history and the history of South Africa, and even just the science behind what gives her this advantage has been you know, it sparked some great debate, but it is also a really interesting piece of science.
0: Yeah, that's true. And, and I guess one of the things that immediately came to mind for me is that, uh, is that there are genetic advantages that all kinds of different people have. And it could be argued that almost anybody who competes in the Olympics, no matter how hard they have worked and how much they have sacrificed probably have a genetic advantage over of some kind over people who are not at the Olympics. And NBA basketball players uh, have an advantage because many of them are taller than the average human being. And and we don't have, we don't say you're going to have to take medication to make you shorter to, to level the playing field, right?
2: No, you're right. And I think one of the challenges um, is that particularly at the IOC and the IAAF is that, you know, they're still working with really antiquated systems. And I mean that in the sense of, you know, that we're still talking about what it is to be female or male based on basically one marker, which is testosterone. And, you know, given that we can do gene mapping, um, we understand chromosomes. And there was a tweet actually from Steve Magnus, who's one of my favorite scientists. Um, He said, you know, I think maybe perhaps instead of talking about this in terms of testosterone, which you know, it does vary between men and women and, and this category of androgynous women, um, that perhaps we should talk, be talking about this in terms of chromosomes and just sort of adapting and becoming, I guess, you know, much more proactive about what they're doing. But unfortunately, that's not how they framed their case. And so, you know, we're sort of stuck with trying to draw a line in the sand, once again, using, you know, testosterone, which has, you know, generally been seen as like the male hormone. Um, and estrogen is seen as the female hormone, in a sense.
0: Yeah, which is kind of flawed in itself because uh, everybody's got both in some quantity, right?
2: Right. I think where they really were going is that, you know, you know, if you look at sort of some of the data that they had presented in the journal, it's the British Journal, I think, of Sport science, um, where they looked at, like, what a normal, you know, female has compared to a normal male – and then comparing it to the, they call these DDSD athletes, and I apologize, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but it's athletes with, you know, this chromosomal um, syndrome. Or I apologize, the these DDSD athletes have, and I'm just that their levels of testosterone are so um, out of scale with what a woman would have that, you know, they do actually have an advantage. And I think just the way the decision was made made it very black and white as opposed to saying, okay, can we learn from this and figure out, you know, how Castor can and other athletes with the USC can still participate? Because right now, you know, they're allowed to participate, um, but maybe with maybe not in a way that really seems fair, um, given that they're being asked to take these drugs.
0: Yeah. And so it also in, invites a discussion, I think, Uh, about something you and I have talked about before, which is what place gender categories have in sports to begin with and and how we draw those lines and why we draw those lines and where we draw those lines, right?
2: Totally. And I think one of the things missing from the conversation is this this notion of gender and sex. And, you know, gender is, is a socialized term as to how you identify. And I think it's really important as a society that we talk that way. Um, But I also think it's really important that we respect what biology is, too. And so, chromosomally speaking, you know, very much so, people are chromosomes, you know, in um, sort of the whole animal kingdom, which we fall under, generally speaking, male and female. And yes, there are some anomalies in there, um, but that given the anomalies are not the norm, that perhaps we need to go back and actually speak about sport in terms of sex again. At the very least, definitely have a conversation with the public to say, we just want you to know these are very different terms in terms of what we're speaking about.
0: So does that mean that in the future perhaps we might be able to have more categories than just the sort of binary category at the Olympics and other major international events of men and women, male and female?
2: Okay, so if Sasha Golis was intent, I'd probably
0: try and do that. (laughs) I'm going to make you the, the head of the IOC for a couple minutes here, so go.
2: So, you know, I do think that's the way to go. I think Para really did a phenomenal job about making it competitive um, and really exciting to watch with the way that they redefine their categories. And, you know, however our genes are morphing or whatever they're doing, and I, I actually don't know enough about the science, I've said very little, um, but I have a little. Uh, I think that there is an opportunity to have this discussion um, at the sort of, at the Olympic level. But I think the other piece that's missing from this conversation, why are we only talking about it in track? And, you know, and as far as I'm targeting specific events, like, you know, we can leave that for another conversation or another question, but, like, why are we only talking about this in track? And I think it's a conversation that has to happen not just in track and field, uh, but across all of the sports.
0: Now, there's another angle to this, which is that, I understand why, as as much as I greatly sympathize with Castor Semenya, I also understand why there are people who are saying, "Look, we'd never allow somebody to artificially add that level of testosterone to their system. That would be giving them an unfair advantage." So, in a sense, it it is a an advantage, a biological chemical advantage to have that elevated level of testosterone, so it doesn't necessarily make it fair for the other competitors. I'm not sure where that leaves me, but I can, I can understand that point of view in this discussion.
2: Right, and I think that's where we're all confused right now, and I think that, you know, I think no matter what decision was made yesterday by the Court of Arbitration for Sports, that, you know, people were going to be disappointed. There was no way to make everybody happy. And I think the Court of Arbitration and Sport basically said, okay, here's the evidence presented. And as you just said, there is this advantage from being able to kind of testosterone. And, you know, again, I kind of wrote about this yesterday, but it's not actually um, the ability to sort of um, train. It's more in the recovery. And there's actually science coming out that says um, not only does testosterone um, help with recovery, but estrogen might actually be seen to inhibit recovery. It's like this. So fun being a check sometimes. <laughs> um, but, you know, this idea that the court of arbitration for sport basically had to go, okay. So, it's almost like a Nash equilibrium. Like, what's the least worst case scenario that we, we can present? Um, and while it did seem very targeted, you know, when you look at... Um, it's not just about caster. It's about a whole series of athletes that, that have this genetic anomaly, in a sense. Um, and so they said, okay, Unfortunately, you're the minority, and maybe that's why they made the decision. I, you know, I don't know anybody on the panel, yeah. um, but I can see the side of it being unfair. You know, and my middle-distance self, like my tiny little self, like, I don't have the power to compete with, with Castor. Um, and no matter what I would, able, would have been able to do in training without using um, unethical methods, um, would have let me be able to compete with her. Right. But still, it makes me so sad to think that there's not really a place for caster to compete.
0: That's a great way of looking at it. Uh, and, and I agree. And, and it's fair to point out as well that, that uh, there are other people with her condition who are not Olympic athletes. Uh, so it doesn't on yeah. its own mean that she becomes an Olympic champion. So there's, there are many facets to this. Sasha, it's always great to hear your perspective on these kinds of issues. I really, really appreciate you joining us this week. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. That's elite Canadian runner Sasha Gaulish. Coming up next, Canadian Olympian Reed Coolset. iRun Radio is brought to you in part by New Balance Canada. New Balance is a proud sponsor of the Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon, fitting elite Olympic marathoners like Reed Coolset and also making shoes that are ideal for you. Reed Coolset is one of Canada's most successful marathon runners. He's competed twice at the Olympics, and he announced this week he'll be running the Ottawa Marathon at the end of this month. Reed, welcome back to iRun Radio.
3: Yeah, it's great to be here again. Thanks for having me.
0: And so you are running the Ottawa Marathon this year. Tell us a little bit about what went into your decision.
3: Well, I was actually planning on doing the Hamburg Marathon um, April 28th just because it coincided with this vacation slash altitude training um, camp that my family and I are on and we just thought it'd be good to get out of the winter, February, March, April, and then just do a race at the end of April and be back in Ontario for May. And I just, um, I had a little, I got sick for a few days and then um, a couple weeks later I had this little back injury. So I just missed a, a bunch of training and didn't feel confident about racing at the end of April. So it was a very easy decision for me. I was contemplating running ottawa at the beginning of my uh like before i even planned what race i was going to do and knowing that i'd have a bit more time for ottawa um it was yeah like people were asking me if i was upset that i wasn't doing hamburg and um i wasn't at all i was like well you know I, it was a ottawa was a race i was considering and this just kind of um forced me to do ottawa over over hamburg um and, and i'm excited to uh to toe the line may 26th
0: all right, right on. It's going to be great to have you here. Um, so, what's the goal for that race? Uh, what are you? How are you feeling? How's your training going? And 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 what are you hoping to accomplish?
3: My goal, really, for the marathon, um, in basically all of 2019 and, and the beginning of 2020, will be to qualify for the uh, 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. Um, I, I I think it's going to take about 2:13 to do so. If uh, the Athletics Canada goes with the IWAF um, like standards, but um, we still don't know what what Athletics Canada is going to set forth as the standards. So right now, I can just assume that uh, I'll probably need to run about two thirteen and do that twice um, to get a good to get a good ranking um, and get that qualifying uh, criteria under my belt. So one step at a time, just you know, aim for. 213 in ottawa and see what happens
0: yeah and i find the process uh, i mean obviously it's not something that i go through uh uh as uh, 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 but uh, you know we've all got different goals with our running and and some of us are trying to qualify for boston or we're trying to get under four hours for the first time or whatever uh we all have our goals and one of the things that i find difficult to process about the about the olympic qualifying process is that you don't know exactly what you need to do Uh, but you've got this window and and you know you've got to run a fast time within that window so i'm sure that the earlier you can do it uh the the less pressure you feel because you can't run marathons every weekend and so if you don't do it fairly early in the process you, you don't want to be setting yourself up where you've got some all or nothing race at the end of the window right
3: yeah, that's right. I mean, I you know, the last two Olympics, I was lucky enough to, to race well early on in the uh, qualifying window and, and feel pretty confident about the times um, I had run and that they would hold up for, you know, to be still to be top three in Canada. And I would like to do something similar um, where, you know, by the end of 2019, I feel confident.
1: But, um, you know, if it, if it does take 2020 and I can still get there, I mean, I
3: would still be very happy. Sure. But uh, to have to run, you know, uh, a, a marathon in April or May of 2020, um, you know, is, is later than you'd like for trying to, to peak in July, for, July, August for the Olympics, so. Yeah, earlier the better. That's, that's
0: for yeah, sure. Right on. And so what obviously it's the Olympics and and who wouldn't want that experience again but uh but what in particular uh is it that excites you about the prospect of competing again at the Olympic level in Tokyo next year?
3: Yeah, I I've, I've just really enjoyed the actual competition of the Olympic marathon. Um both 2012 and 2016 the race itself is just is really fun. You know, you get a lot of fans, um, and the competition is just so deep. You know, every anybody that can, um, you know, has a chance to run the uh, the Olympic marathon. Pretty much does. So y- you get into this race where y- you don't care about time; um, you're just going for place. And there's always uh, there's always someone in sight. You know? you know, you know, you know, just up the road or whatever. So you're you're just fighting for each place, and which is a, which is a little bit different from. Most of the marathons I run, usually, you know, towards the end of the marathon, um, it's it's fairly spread out. And if there is a, you know, a few targets just up ahead the, on the road, that's great. But, um, you know, they're they're not. It's not that packed. And the Olympic marathon is just like you just you're fighting for every spot. So it's like a cross country race, like a 10k cross country race, but it's uh it's over 42k and on a on, the, on a big stage.
0: Yeah, and as you say, I think that's one of the things that's different about the Olympic marathon. You mentioned it earlier that, uh, you know, whether it's, Uh, We just had, uh, of course, uh, the Boston Marathon and the London Marathon, two of the World Marathon majors uh, that are in the same month. So you're not going to have every elite runner competing in both those marathons or either of those marathons. You're going to have some people who choose to do Boston, some people who choose to do London, and some people who aren't in either of them, whereas the Olympics tends to be the one that everybody wants to be in because it's only every four years and it's the Olympics, right?
3: Yeah, that's right. I mean, other than just having the restriction of three runners per country yeah i mean everybody you rarely hear about people um you know deciding to to not run the olympics and and do a fall marathon if they if they have the opportunity
0: yeah so you mentioned you're doing some altitude training right now you're in colorado tell us a little bit about that experience
3: yeah it's been great um it's my first time here in colorado and we were just staying just outside of Boulder, um, February, March, April, and then um, we had to find a new place because um, we're extending our trip here. So we'll, we're in Boulder now just for the last two weeks of, of May before I, um, you know, head back to uh, the Eastern Time Zone. And yeah, the the running here is great because there's just so much um, different terrain. So um, you can go run up in the mountains, run on technical trails. You can get really hilly roads. Um, there's flat trails, and um, yeah, I mean anything you kind of want, and it's it's at an elevation of 1,600 meters, which um, is lower than what I've normally trained at altitude, um, but yet it's still, you know, you, you still find it's it's tougher. But you can go up in the mountains, and um, I did a run a few weeks ago that was at the topped out to 2,600 meters, um, which is about as high as I've ever run. Um, so yeah lots of varying terrain and the weather's been good it it varies a lot here Um, it can go it can be 25 degrees celsius one day and two degrees celsius the next and um, we had a little bit of snow in april and then you know a couple days later i was running in shorts and t shirt again so it's uh it keeps on your toes
0: yeah and so does it feel different running at altitude do you notice the difference and do you gradually adapt to it
4: yeah, I mean, you do adapt uh, a bit, but you
3: never fully adapt. You, uh, I mean, at least
4: I don't. And most people
3: don't. Uh, you're all you'll always run a little bit slower, um, the higher you go up. But um, you know, you do get used to the, the feeling of, of of just feeling like you're giving in less oxygen. So you, you get used to it, but it's but you don't. Um, it's not like your paces ever get get down to what you can do at sea level.
0: Yeah. And then I guess you'll find out when you get back whether it's whether it's helped, right? Uh, that's the there there is some science to this though obviously that you could, if you train at altitude and then race closer to sea level that that's supposed to that's supposed to uh, improve your performance, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. Like after 2 or 3 weeks up here your blood values change and your body becomes more efficient at getting less oxygen but still bringing the oxygen it needs to your working muscles and then you go down to sea level you have your blood has this extra oxygen carrying capacity um so theoretically the uh, you know a certain um you know effort pace is gonna feel a little bit easier yeah and altitude has worked for me in the past um but of course it's it's just one variable um you know like you know, like, you know, you're running a lot and then you do speed work and long runs and, and everything goes into the marathon performance and altitude is just one small variable. So it's, it's hard to isolate it. And if you run well, or if you run poorly to say, you know, it was because of altitude or not, but, um. Generally
0: helps and I I'm going to go with that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh why not? Um and and so, you know, for you like like a lot of runners, even elite runners, uh to to be able to do something like that, you've got to make the logistics work and so you brought your family with you uh, to Colorado and you kind of turned it into a family experience.
3: Yeah, I mean before um before I had a family and had you know had kids, um I would go to Kenya and um or you know our Flagstaff, and um you know it was pretty easy just to just to take off and then because my wife's on maternity leave right now she has the time off and um we just thought you know this is a opportunity like a point in life where we where we're able to do this so i actually haven't trained at altitude for three years um just because it's you know it's tough to tough to do and then yeah this opportunity presented itself and um boulder is uh it's it's a it's a really cool community it's a very active community and there's a lot of hiking and stuff so um I've done a a bit of hiking bringing the kids have done a bit more than I have and um yeah there's just the you know, cool things for the kids to do um like the uh railroad museum or um
1: oh, cool yeah just yeah, just 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 cool rock formations and stuff like that that we can hike
3: around have been pretty neat.
0: Right on. Well, good luck, Reed. Uh, it sounds like uh, it's the right place for you to be right now, and, and it's going to set you up well for this season. And we're really looking forward to seeing you in Ottawa. Continued success with your training, and uh, we'll see you in Ottawa. Thanks for being on the show. Great. Thanks a lot for having me. That's Canadian Olympian Reed Coolset. Coming up in the weeks ahead on iRun Radio, getting ready for a first marathon after breast cancer. And we'll tell you more about a program that helps autistic kids get into running. I hope you can join us next week on iRun Radio. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.